Hey everybody, my name is David Malley, and I started a story slam called Everyday Short Stories. All right, our next story comes from Virginia, and what I love about doing the story slam is how my family-in-law has really jumped in and embraced the story slam. Uh, this story comes from Virginia, and she's my mother-in-law, and it's about her working at an ice cream shop. Well, you'll know I'm old when you hear how old my story is. What do you think? This is my Judy Dench look. Do you like it? And this is my Ben Franklin. <laughs> my story begins in 1957, and that's probably before any of you were born. But that's when it begins. Eisenhower was president, and uh, he is a member of the lost generation. I, you know, generations have their names. Nixon was his vice president, and he is a member of the greatest generation. They both decided that it was time to defend Iran, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. This is in 1957. The headlines in the newspaper that I saw when I was 15, and I was 15 in 1957, were about the mad bomber, the Ku Klux Klan, radiation readings, and there were four stage one smog alerts in Los Angeles. Today, those stage ones would be stage three. It was dangerous to breathe if you went outside. The civil rights movement was starting, and Cold War communism, or the Russian threat, drop drills, bomb shelters were part of our daily life. Elvis was popular then, on the radio all the time, which may buy, might be why little Susie wouldn't wake up and why Peggy Sue was in trouble. I was 15. And although I am told that would make me a member of the silent generation, I worried a lot, and sometimes out loud. My mother considered me neurotic and annoyingly worried. She had been brokering jobs for me since I was 11, babysitting all over the neighborhood, 50 cents an hour. I was diapering the babies running after the toddlers of the baby booner generation. <laughs> My first real job, and this is another one that she brokered for me, was as a soda jerk at Curry's Mile High Ice Cream Store. They no longer exist, but they were very popular back in the day. Does anybody ever remember hearing about Curry's? Okay, well, you'd think the Mile High Ice Cream was pile upon pile upon pile upon pile of scoops? No, they had a special scoop for these ice cream cones. It was like a, a pointed trowel that was curved, and you had to jam that sucker all the way down into the frozen ice cream, and they kept it frozen because they didn't want it falling apart, and then wind it around, pull it out, and jam it into the cone. Well, after my first day of training, I remember going home and sitting on the front porch, being scared to death. I'm sure I was going to break a glass, somebody was gonna eat it, they were gonna die, I was gonna wind up in jail. This is how my mind worked. My mother said, for God's sake, just go to work. She felt like work was the panacea for every kind of worry. So I did, I went to work. And I made sandwiches, burgers, malts, sundaes, banana splits. As far as I know, nobody died or ate any broken glass. 
And I never had to go to jail because I'd murdered somebody. Um, I met some interesting people working at Curry's. One of them was a seamstress, and she would come in in the late evening after her day at work, and she talked about the beautiful gowns she made. And uh, I really wanted to see the evidence of her handiwork because she clearly was very skilled. And then I found out that she only had to make the front of all the garments because she worked for a funeral parlor. <laughs> that kind of put me off. Uh, the owners of the Curry's Mile High ice cream would go after dinner to the Swiss Echo, which was a little place down the block and leave me alone in the, in the restaurant. And I could tell when they came back through the door, giggling, that they were both a mile high. We are super appreciative of the support of Caterpillar Cottage Preschool Program. It's located in the heart of the San Fernando Valley. They are a progressive play-based preschool community rooted in a solid understanding of child development. Caterpillar Cottage, supporting each child's social development and natural love of learning. You can learn more about their program by visiting www.caterpillarcottage.com. This next story comes from Jonathan. It's another one of my in-laws, so another fantastic story from my in-laws. And this one is about some solid career counseling that Jonathan got when he was in high school. All right, how's everybody doing? Oh, God. Really? It's that time of the night, huh? All right, I know what you're all thinking out there. This guy's going to tell us a story now. Yeah, this guy. It's obviously a dancer or something. Um, so I'm actually, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to break with, since everybody's kind of been breaking with tradition here and not telling stories and kind of doing other stuff, I think I'm going to continue in that vein. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm, I'm going to have a confession. That's what I'm going to do. You, you said this could be, you know, it had to be true, right? That was the, that was your criteria. It had to be true, right? So this is a true, this is a, my confession. Not proud of this. Um, I, and it's job related. Uh, I was a teenage tobacconist. I was. This is a true story. And uh, how, how could this happen, you might ask. I'm going to tell you. That's the story. So stay tuned. Um, so when in the 10th grade in the illustrious Los Angeles uh, school district, back in the 1980s when I was in 10th grade, um, they had a, uh, the, the, the second semester, the, the most least popular part of the second semester after you finished driver's ed, you went to what was called career, career training or career advice. And uh, you went to class, and they uh, gave you a skills test. Um, they asked you a lot of questions about things you might be interested in, and things like, do you like math? Uh, do you like working indoors? Do you like sitting down? Do you like being around people? Um, so I took the test, and uh, mine came back a park ranger. So. It, it didn't really matter because I'd already made up my mind at that phase of my life, I was going to be a tobacconist. This is what I wanted to be. Now, 
for a 15-year-old kid in the 1980s, okay, you might say, you know, that's a little, well, that's a little weird. Why would a kid, 15-year-old kid in the 1980s want to be a tobacconist? You know, well, too much Sherlock Holmes, too much Lord of the Rings, you know, could be any of those things. Um, I was obsessed with it. This is what I wanted to do. Uh, somehow, somehow I convinced my, uh, my career counselor to allow me to put this down as, as my career, and somehow it flew. And it, this, is, this speaks to the, how the 1980s was a very different time. It was a very different time and place in the 1980s. It was uh, uh, much like Ohio of today. Um, you had, uh, there was a lot of, you know, you still had, you, you went to the doctor and there were ashtrays in the doctor's office, right? And mounted on the wall, like permanent fixtures of the building. There were ashtrays there. Uh, if you went to the mall, every mall had a tobacconist shop. Not just a, a, a smoke store or a, nowadays they have the little vape things on there, you know, whatever. Um, no, this was a real tobacco, not that vape crap, this is a real tobacconist store that sold tobacco and pipes and you know, they, they, you could take your pipes and they'd fix them for you. This was, a, this was a profession, this was something you could be back in the 80s. <laughs> 80s were awesome. Um, remember you had a smoking section, in, you had a smoking section in the restaurant. You know, it was, it was, there was a smoking section and there's that really protected non-smoking section with a little hedge in between and maybe some <laughs> hanging plastic plants, you know, to protect you from the smoke coming over from the smoking section. It was, ugh, it was so much better back then. So, I, I mean, my, my point in all this was that this was not a dead-end job. I didn't know this was going to be a dead-end job. To me, you know, being a tobacconist, I was going to be set for life. Well, best laid plans of mice and men. Um, so part of the class was we had to do an internship. We had to uh, actually go and get some experience, some hands-on experience with whatever the career was that we wanted to do. Uh, my counselor recommended that I call the Park Service or the Santa Monica Mountain Reserve. Uh, nope, I want to be a tobacconist. Um, so not sure how many that fly, but I did. I uh, went to the local tobacconist store where I was already, already a little notorious as the 15-year-old kid who kept trying to hang out in the tobacconist store. And, uh, and, and presented the owner, uh, we'll, we'll call him Bob, because that was his name, and uh, asked him, you know, this is, this is my, my career, I'm taking my career thing, and I want to do this. And, and, and Bob, Bob didn't have any kids of his own to pass his knowledge on to, to pass his store on to. Bob jumped at the chance to have an apprentice and have me there in his store, and thus began probably the best thing that could ever have happened to a 15-year-old kid in the 1980s. This store had everything. Now, I'm not just talking about the tobacco and tobacco products and all that stuff, which I was in heaven to be around. But um, they, they, you know, you go in the back of a tobacco store back in these days was much like the barbershop of yore, um, where, you know, there were manly men doing manly things. They were playing cribbage. Yeah, yeah they were reading <laughs> Russian literature, you know, while they smoked. And they were smoking, and so they were smoking cigars, they were smoking pipes, they were smoking cigarettes. Um, this guy, this guy had every single Playboy magazine from 1987 all the way back to the first issue, all stacked back there, just in stacks, just lying around for people to pick up and read. I never seen anything like it in my life. It was amazing. Um, so, you know, I, I I began learning all the things you have to learn to uh, be a tobacconist. Um, I, uh, th th we had to learn how to hand blend tobaccos. They were, they were all hand blended. And I remember, you know, after doing this the first time, I was in there, they had this big, we had this big tub, and we mix all, they had a recipe falling, and you mix the different types of tobaccos in the tub. And then you'd spray it with a spray thing, and you'd mix the tobacco around with your bare hands. And at the end of the day, I'd come up, my hands were, I couldn't feel my hands. My hands were completely numb from the nicotine and the stuff that was in them. And I remember my, my mom asking me, why, why didn't you wear gloves? 
but it was hand, it's because it's hand mixed. If you wear gloves, it's not hand mixed, it was hand mixed. Um, so it was, it was a mixture of on the job training and, and hazing, kind of. Uh, you know, the, these guys, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't used to having someone like me hanging out in their sacred little tobacco store where they like to hang out doing their manly things. Um, I remember that the owner at one point wanted to teach me how to do, there, there's, there's three phases to cleaning a pipe. You have to boil it out with alcohol, which, you know, for a 15-year-old, you got fire, you got alcohol, you got tobacco, it's, you know, and you're boiling stuff out, and sometimes it all catches fire. It was awesome. And uh, then what you do is you polish it. You have this big spinning wheel, and you polish the thing on the wheel. So he gave me this pipe. He said, this is my, one of my best customers' pipes. A first. A first was a pipe that was, you know, the very top condition, very most expensive pipe. And he's like, yeah, I just need you to buff this up on the wheel. And it was a, it was a uh, rugged pipe. It had a very pitted surface. And so I'm there trying to work on this thing. And of course, the thing catches on the wheel and goes flying around the wheel and bounces off the wall of the store, bounces off the back wall of the store. Guy comes running and goes, what the hell did you just do? And I'm um, like, oh, I broke the pipe. And they all had a good laugh. You know, it was all on, on me. <laughs> uh, I learned, but you know, teaches you character, right? I mean, that's character. Um, so <clears throat> I think that uh, the, the most important things I learned, though, were how to use an old-fashioned cash register. You know, they had this register there. It was from the like, early, late 1800s, early 1900s. They had to crank it. Had a big crank on the side, and then you put the you put in the amount of money that someone was paying, and you put a button, and a bell rang, and the thing popped open. Didn't tell you anything about change. You had to learn how to count that back. And that was that was something that I learned. That was an extremely valuable lesson because I remember later in my life when I worked in retail, and the cashers would go down. Everybody would stand around. Well, sorry, can't help you. Cashers are down. Don't know how much change to give you. And I knew how to count change back. It made me a very valuable employee. So that was a great lesson I learned there. The other was customer service. He always taught me that. The most important thing in any business is how you treat your customers, because you treat them well, they'll always come back. And uh, the third thing I learned, and I think this is the most important thing I learned, was that sometimes the experience of something has a value. The experience of going shopping in a store has more value than ordering it through the mail. And as the tobacco stores faded away, moved on to mail order businesses, I learned the valuable lesson that sometimes your career plans just don't work out. Unfortunately, I'm no longer a tobacconist. Also, unfortunately, I'm no longer a teenager. Um, but I did move on to a paying job that actually paid me cash, no longer an internship, and uh, thus began my illustrious, brighter future, something with a much longer future of working in a video store. Thanks for listening to Everyday Short Stories. I'm your host, David. If you really liked it, go to my YouTube channel or my Facebook page or even my website, everydayshortstories.com, and give us some love. And don't forget to tell your everyday short stories.